If you are new to St. Andrews or you're visiting today, I want to tell you what our uh, typical pattern is in terms of our messages here, and that is that we, we preach and teach straight through books of the Bible. Now, the great thing about that is that uh, we, we want to preach and teach the whole counsel of God, and uh, that gives us a gentle discipline to do that because we just preach the next text, whatever it is. The difficult part of that is that you have to preach the whole counsel of God, and there are difficult passages that, quite frankly, uh, in churches that don't preach straight through books, they may or may not preach on those difficult passages. Now, every single week, you all have to make a decision. Will I choose to believe the Word of God, or will I choose instead to believe <clears throat> what's being taught to me in school, what is on my favorite news channel, what is in your magazines, what is in the newspaper, or what's popular or politically correct. Now, those of you that come here all the time, you're basically making that choice that, yes, sometimes it's hard, but we, we do want to conform our lives and our minds to God's Word. And so today we are on one of those passages where that is sometimes harder to do. I know because some of you have shared with me that you struggle with same-sex attraction. Or you have family members that struggle with that or co-workers, or people in your school, those you care about. So I would never stand here and say that it's easy. All you got to do is just see what God's Word says and then just do it. Because I understand there are many dynamics when we come to those kinds of issues when they are that personal, but to choose to submit yourself to the Word of God takes courage. And so, before I read this passage, let's pray for that courage. Let's pray. Lord, we would pray that in these next moments that you would enable us by your Holy Spirit to conform our feelings to your truth. That other things wouldn't get in the way. That other things wouldn't pull us away 
from what you so clearly say. And then, Lord, where it needs to be, will you correct our attitude and conform us to your great love and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. I want to begin with uh, verse 18. We're going to be focusing on uh, starting with verse 24, but uh, to catch the flow of what's going on, it says this in Romans 1.18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. That was what we studied that. That's general revelation, knowing God has revealed himself to all mankind. Verse 21, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, this is the application of what he's just stated about the wrath of God, about mankind rejecting that which they knew, He's saying, here's what happens. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is forever blessed. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. This is the word of the Lord. So let's jump in and see uh, what, what took place. And remember, this is in the context of, of God showing His wrath. Look at what God did. He begins Romans by laying down the beauty of the gospel, that it's from outside of ourselves, that any righteousness we ever have comes only from Jesus Christ and trusting in Him alone for salvation. And then he, he explains about general revelation where uh, God has revealed enough about Himself to all mankind through nature to where they're without excuse. Now, they don't know who Christ is. That's why you need the Bible. 
but they do know there is a God. And you go all over the world, and people down deep know there is a God. They don't know His name. They don't know specifics. But not just Christians, not just missionaries, but anthropologists will tell you that people worship. Why do people worship? Because they know that there is something out there greater than them. And then he, he describes it. He said that uh, not only did they ignore that, they suppressed that truth and uh, didn't honor God but exchanged the glory of immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. We talked about that last week, how when man invents a God, it's, it's always smaller and lesser than the true God. In fact, typically, it's smaller and lesser than man himself. And that's exactly what he describes. And so how is God going to show his wrath toward mankind that has absolutely rejected uh, his truth or suppressed it to where they don't even see it anymore? How does his wrath come out? Verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of the bodies among themselves. That, <clears throat> that phrase may be the saddest, most ominous phrase in all of Scripture, in my view. The God gave them up to let them do what they wanted to do. You know, when you're raising children, there are times when you will let your children experience some of the, some of the consequences, you know, their safety and so on with, in mind. And if they're walking, you let them fall and, you know, so they can learn how to get up and balance and that kind of a thing. Uh, when... Uh, one of my sons, Benji, was just a little guy. I was watching him at uh, our church over in Atlanta. My office was right off the sanctuary. I was babysitting. I was in there for uh, a few hours. And uh, he said, uh, can I go play in the sanctuary? And I said, okay, just don't go up in the balcony. And, uh, and then he came back in a minute. He said, uh, uh, can I play with your keys? I said, yeah, okay, um, and so I continued to work because, you know, there was a limited space where he would be, and I was on my computer, and I, uh, after a few minutes, uh, the, the lights kind of flickered, and my computer kind of went off, and, but that happens once in a while, and then uh, Benji kind of poked his head into the door of my office, and he held up his finger and he said, it, it was, his fingernail was black, and he said, will this come off? <laughs> so all of the sudden, you know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, I jump way ahead. Uh-oh, I've got to explain this to Connie at some point. But, <laughs> but, but first I said, Benji, where's my keys? 
And so he said, in here, I followed him into the sanctuary, and I saw my half-melted keys in, in a plug. Now, it's okay. He's here. He lived through it, okay? So it, it's not that big of a thing, really, you mothers, you know, that are... <laughs> now... Um, Unfortunately, I've got a lot more of those stories, but, but what if he had, he had come to me and said, can I play with your keys? And I said, sure. And he said, uh, can I stick them in the plug? And I said, I thought to myself, well, you know, that would teach him a lifelong lesson that, uh, that he, uh, you know, he'll never forget that one, which he hasn't, by the way. But we would say, no, you don't, you don't do that out of protection. That's why what we see here, when God gave them up to, to their own passions, it's clearly judgment. This is wrath that, that is being poured out on mankind to let them go the way that they automatically would go. The word there for lust is literally uh, over-desire. And here's the point. It's not necessarily that our hearts always would uh, choose bad things, but sometimes our hearts will choose that which is good, but but more and too much of that. And that's what it's talking about here. It's like somebody who um, maybe is a workaholic and, and they worship their career. Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to that person is for them to just get another promotion. Because it feeds into them thinking, yeah, th this will satisfy me. And instead, it owns them. And it takes them over. And ultimately, becomes an item of worship. And that blessing and satisfaction that they think it will bring to them uh, will never come. Some think, okay, if God gives me over, then I'll be free. But what happens is you go into bondage. There is no freedom outside of Christ. And then he talks about them making this fatal exchange, verse 25. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped, and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is forever blessed. Amen. By the way, he, he, he can't help himself here. He gives a glimpse of, look, there's good news coming. And here's, here's what I want you to, to know. And we'll get to this point. He gave them up, but he didn't give up on them. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So they make this fatal exchange. It reminds us of 
and earlier verse 23. It's a horrible exchange because it doesn't compare to the true God. So then he explains how this being given up showed itself. Verse 26, for this reason God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and their men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men. You've heard me use the phrase already today, same-sex attraction. And I'm deliberately using that rather than a term like gay. And I'm doing that uh, particularly because of uh, uh, I'm influenced by a man named Sam Alberry, who wrote just a, a, I think, a fine book called uh, Is God Anti-Gay? Sam Alberry uh, is a Christian, but he struggles with same-sex attraction. He is very open about that, and there's information about that book and also a website in, in your outline um, that I'd encourage you to keep, if not for yourselves, for, for others. But he won't call himself gay, not out of denial, but because, as he says, today in Western culture, that term often refers to far more than someone's sexual orientation. It has come to describe an identity and a lifestyle. And he says, that's not my identity. My identity is not a sexual orientation. It's who I am in Christ. And so I will use that term. He ta uh, Paul talks about dishonorable passions, literally means evil longings. And then, then he talks about what is natural. And he, he used in those verses I just read, exchange natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. Uh, men likewise gave up natural relations. And uh, so the question is, what, what is natural according to the Word of God? Well, when we were going through the book of Ephesians and we got to the section about biblical marriage, uh, the first message I preached on biblical marriage was about this same issue. And the information about that sermon, because you can't say everything in one sermon, but a lot of the foundational study is uh, I would encourage you, if you weren't here for that or want to listen again, the, the information again is on the outline where you can find that. And it focused upon that issue. On that Sunday, we had sent out information to those, uh, to parents, uh, and we decided so that I could uh, speak freely, we decided to offer an alternative for those fifth grade and under, and uh, most of the, the children, fifth grade and under, went uh, out during that morning message. I'm not going to send out the children 
today. In fact, I want to stop and talk specifically with you children today. Because in your school and on TV and with friends, you are hearing all about this, all about other kinds of marriages. And I want you to hear what the Word of God has to say. So let me, let me explain, especially to you children. Next Saturday, our daughter Abby is going to get married right here, literally right here. Don't forget, you're all invited. And she will walk from the back of the church up to the front, and she'll be on my arm, and we will walk up here, and her husband-to-be will be standing up here. He's a great young man. And then we will go through the ceremony, and after I give her away, and then I'll put on my other hat, and I will... Uh, do the vows, and so on. Now, your children are probably saying, well, so why are you telling us that? What's unusual about that? That a young woman be, would be marrying a young man. Well, you're right. People all over the world know, somehow they know that that is what a wedding is. That is what marriage is. How do they know that? Well, because God put it inside of them. That, that this and what we will see next week, that's natural. It's clearly natural. And to argue otherwise is to uh, somehow convince yourself that that which we know innately is natural. And to somehow twist that and suppress that. Now, this passage that I'm reading from is talking about what happens when people leave God's way. And here's what it says. What happens is, one of the things that happens, it's going to talk about a lot of things, but one of the things that happens is that instead of a, a man and a woman getting married, men want to marry other men. And women want to marry other women. That's what happens when mankind leaves God's creative, wonderful nature. Those are choices that are made in those cases. Now, we won't do marriages like that here at St. Andrews. Not because we don't care about people that struggle with 
with same-sex attraction, but because we are convinced that the only one that is allowed to define marriage is the one who created marriage. And so, you children, maybe, maybe you've seen or maybe you've talked about in your classes that, that in our country now, it's legal to do what we just talked about. Because something's legal doesn't make it right. And if there's a, you know, the Supreme Court could decide, you know what, there could be a whole majority in our whole country that could say, yes, that's, that's real marriage. But the majority is always God's way. And He's the one that invented marriage. So only He can explain who marriage should be between. So very quickly, because we, we went into this in great depth in the previous uh, sermon, you got to understand what He said is you go all the way back to Genesis, and in Genesis, it, it, He talks about creation. And it says this, so God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him male and female. He created them. And, and then it goes on to say this, that a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two become one flesh. It's talking about marriage. So they're no longer two, but one flesh. So that's back in Genesis but some might say, well, that, that's an ancient culture. Surely things have changed. Well, you fast forward and you see Jesus do a direct quote from there, right from there. And then you see the Apostle Paul do the same thing and quote that exactly. And so what that shows us, because some when we, they get to this passage in Romans, we'd like to say, well, that was culturally conditioned uh, for in that day that Paul had uh, a view of marriage back then that doesn't apply anymore. By the way, in Rome, where he's writing to, they had same-sex attraction and, and relationships and all of those things. So, so he was going counterculture way back then. But he wasn't rooting his view of marriage in the culture. He wasn't saying, well, what's popular now? Let's say this, and that's how we'll define marriage. He was rooting his view of marriage in creation. And until and unless the Creator changes his mind, that is the way it is to be for all time. That's why Jesus reaffirmed it, and that is why the Apostle Paul reaffirmed it as well. You know, when Paul talked about it, he talk, talked about how th this is a mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and His ch church. The bride being His church. Christ being the groom. It's not two grooms. It's not two brides. That, that would destroy the illustration that, that is there. And so we see the beauty 
of marriage between a man and a woman as being rooted in, in creation. And that is what God calls natural. And yet, there are those that chose the unnatural. Verse 27, for those that are contrary to nature and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men, and so on. So what's the problem with doing something against nature? What, what's the problem with that? Well, Paul says this, the last part of 27, receiving in themselves due penalty for their error. What kinds of things can be due penalty for choosing that way? Men marrying men and women marrying women. What, what are some of the natural consequences? Well, you can think of uh, some of those. I will tell you one very simple and, and uh, one that anyone in the world can tell you, and that is that no children are born as a result of same-sex marriages. You might say, well, what about adoption? They can have children. That's not what I said. I didn't say they couldn't have children. No children are born as a result of same-sex marriages. The only children that are born in this world are born by what the Scripture calls what is natural. Children are only born to man and a woman. And children, that's where Pastor Dale's going to stop and let you talk to your parents about. <laughs> You're welcome, uh, you parents. <laughs> Another natural consequence of not doing marriage God's way can be disease and other physical issues that can accompany same-sex relationship that are, some of those are virtually uh, unique. For some, it's a longing for that which God defines as natural and not having that desire. And then ultimately, we have to say this, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9, says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. It's a warning. Now, I want to speak to the 96.6 of you who do not struggle with same-sex attraction. That's not my statistic. That's from the National Center for Health Statistics, which is part of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, the CDC. That is not a conservative organization. It's not a Christian organization. This is their number. First of all, to you, 90, almost 97%. Just because it's nearly 97% of humans 
that are attracted to the opposite sex, that does not make it right. What makes it right is that God said it's right. And to you, I want to read you just a a portion of what we're going to look at next week. Verse 29. Because this, this... this message today, although it's, it's unique in one area because he addresses it so head on, look at what else he says, verse 29. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil. All of these are, are things that are following right along with what I mentioned. Um, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Do do you see what he's saying? He's saying it's not just those with same-sex attraction. He only starts with that. And then he includes everybody else, the rest of the 97% in all mankind. Because all of us are under this indictment if we are without Christ. There we all are. God gave them up but didn't give up on them or us. There is hope in the gospel of Christ. Now, we've talked about the sin of same-sex relationships. Same-sex relationship. Same-sex attraction or propensity is not a sin. It's only when you act on that. That's when it becomes a sin. And we acknowledge that like Sam Alberry, there are those who seem to have that, that, that particular temptation. And for them, there is strength in Christ. Just like uh, uh, an unmarried person who might be tempted to commit adultery or fornication, they must deal with that by the power of the Holy Spirit. For most of us, that's not an issue. But here's what we need to know. If you remember the parable of the Good Samaritan, that was in the context of of, uh, Jesus being confronted and asked questions And it was uh, about this issue. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor is yourself. And so Jesus, in addressing what it looks like to love our neighbor, gives this parable about the Good Samaritan. And and he talks about how, how this person was stripped and beaten and robbed and he's alongside of the road. And, and two religious people basically walk by. A priest 
and a Levite. You can almost picture them gathering up their robes and maybe not even looking over rather than to get involved. And then another one walks down the road, and, and this one was a Samaritan, and, and those in that day, they, they called them dogs. They thought they were less than, less than human. And so he chooses the Samaritan as the one that's going to do that which is right. And he took up this one and took care of him and used his own money and saw that he was restored. And Jesus' conclusion was, you go and do likewise. So when we talk about this issue, that's where I want us to apply this. How can we show love for our neighbor? These that struggle with same-sex attraction or maybe are in a same-sex relationship. Well, in terms of marriage in our society, you know what? Uh, for those that, that get married, it's legal. I can't do anything about that. It doesn't change my view. And you know what? We're not in a Christian society. And Paul has already talked about a, a darkened and futile mind. I'm not surprised that it's legal in our country. So that, to me, is not the issue of the moment. The issue is how will we respond as followers of Christ? How will we go and do likewise? And I want to leave you with several things. One is that homophobia is a sin as well. We must not confuse the person with the sin. The Bible tells us that that every human being is an image bearer of God. And that's in, in the Word of God. And there is no place for the believer to treat any image bearer of God, including those in same-sex relationships. There is no place for the believer to treat them disrespectfully. And hatred is a sin as well. Hateful, hateful words and hateful actions are sins as well. Make sure, because I, I, I know sometimes people, because when they're not tempted by a sin, they tend to be extra disgusted by that sin. Ask God to give you a disgust for your own sin. And ask God to give you a love for this image bearer of God. Who needs the gospel. There is no place for hatred or disrespect when we are children of the living God. 
this issue gives us an opportunity to show genuine Christian love and grace. God help us to go and do likewise. Let's bow together. Lord, please apply this where we most need it. You know, I don't know, but you know where each of us needs this. Use your word and your spirit and help us to leave here with praise for the love of Christ on our lips, thanksgiving to the creator of the universe who has given us a a wonderful blessing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.